You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Well, hi there. I'm Bill Boggs, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Bill Boggs. He's the author of Spike Unleashed, The Wander Dog Returns, as told to Bill Boggs. And it's a follow-up to his first book. Bill, how are you? Oh, I just happen to have the book in my hand. <laughs> I usually walk around like this. It's odd when I'm shopping because I can only use one hand to put the stuff <laughs> in the shopping cart. But yeah, <laughs> this is in fact Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns, as told to Bill Boggs. Spike the dog has told the story. So I, in the tradition of the art of racing in the rain in the tradition of um, um, Call of the Wild, I've created a novel where the dog is telling the story. This is not the first time it's happened, but my dog has been called by two reviewers the funniest dog in fiction ever. So this book is designed to make you laugh. By the way, just because it's Spike, you know, unleashed. Folks, this is not a present for your seventh grade Seventh graders' birthday party. This is, uh, we'll say, in the PG 13 R rated category of humor. Think, yeah, I would say Family Guy. Think that the, the movie that just came out, No no Hard Feelings, or a new movie coming out next month called Strays, which is the same genre, Tony. Raunchy talking dog stories. So, th- so this isn't like Old Yeller. It's not, it's like Old Yeller's not funny, if I remember no, right. No, old Yeller, Old Yeller, like you're waiting for someone to shoot him. You know, most <laughs> of the time. You know he's going to die, and it's just when, who's going to pull out the gun and do it? Uh, no, this is, it's not like Old Yeller. Old Yeller was a like a G-rated Disney movie. Right. This is. That makes you sad. This my is. My Peavis and Butthead do America. I like that. I'm by the way, I'm glad you got the memo and we're both wearing striped shirts. Yes, thanks for that memo. It's the first yeah. time I've ever been you know, I had to go shopping. <laughs> I got one. I got one. But but yeah. Something interesting at the swimming pool today, Tony. Yeah, what's that? Well, I happen to be at the swimming pool today. And uh, so when you say the swimming pool, this is like a community swimming pool or the YMCA. What? The YMCA. Okay. okay. And, uh, the YMCA in East Hampton, where okay. I'm living now. The foliage you see behind me yes. is East Hampton. The, yes. the window over there, that's looking yes. out East Hampton. Okay. And so that's where we are. Anyway, okay. so there must have been some kind of a swim meet yesterday at, at the Y, at, and, which is great. So I have one kid forgot to take home. This is not a joke. I found this this morning. Here is a, I don't want to indicate, swimming eighth place this is the eighth place uh thing what a loser what a loser what what a loser that kid was eighth place now the point (laughs) simply is god bless him for swimming (laughs) there are only like eight swimmers in the race okay so look this is one of the things we talk about stuff like this in spike unleashed we're looking at society we're looking at our foibles. I mean, this is no news that kids get trophies for everything these days. Right. The book, the book Tony, has a uh, a lot of inventions in it that, that send up things in society. And one of them is something called Tony the Talking Trophy. And Tony the Talking Trophy is something that a parent buys to install in their kid's phone as an app. And it enables the parent no matter where in the world they are, to, for no particular reason, give unwarranted praise to their child. <laughs> you know, I hit it, and it has like all manner of things like, you're the greatest, you're going to, who could be better than you? You're handsome, you're beautiful, you're the greatest, you're an A+, I love you, stuff like that. And now that is like a send-up of what is going on when kids are winning eighth place, eight ribbon for finishing last. I'm sorry. Yeah. What now? What do you what do you think this does to these kids when they grow up and become adults? If everything's like if everything they've done has been a winner, even though they're not winners in any way at all, 
according to the competition. What does that do to a kid when they're 23 and they're out in out in like the human race? Well, the, I think my my response would be that what it does what it does to the child is gives them an unreasonable uh, sense of what their accomplishments are. Uh, look, by the way, is that light too bright behind me? There, no. It-, it looks like it looks like you're divine, and like not only are you speaking to me, but it's coming from like the Lord Himself through Bill Boggs. I can I can maybe make the light brighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Any better? No, okay. you're, you're you're fine. Don't worry about it. No, I th- I think you know un, un unrealistic expectations about about what their worth is and and what they've been able to accomplish in life. Yeah, I, I can pull the blind if it's too bright. No, I can't. it's fine. Okay, yeah. so I you know I think that I worry about um, college students who've gone through college where they have trigger warnings and safe spaces and. They're told in advance if this will upset you, you know, don't read these pages in the book. But that's not yeah. what life is, you know. When you get out of school, you're going to fail, uh, and 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 you're not going to be protected. I mean, unless human resources really changes things. I I have a friend. I, I love this guy, and he himself was a very good athlete, a very good baseball player, and. He had a son who was not particularly well coordinated. He had other gifts for sure. And I was at a baseball game once where the kids struck out. Now he struck out. Okay, Tony. Yeah. And the father is saying, okay, they were good swings. They were good swings. Way to go. No, no. He struck out. Yeah. Right. So fairly- I mean, I don't say that when I'm watching uh, the, cause I'm a San Francisco giants fan. When I'm watching the giants and like Brandon Crawford strikes out, I don't go, man, those were great swings. That's okay. That's okay. I'm screaming at the screen going, dude, why are we paying you millions of dollars? And I pretend like I have any stake in it because I have zero stake in it. But, you know. So what we're talking about here is serious stuff. Yeah. But now I'm a full-time writer of satire. This this book, Spike Unleashed, which just came out last week, this brand new book. Yeah. Spike.com is the sequel to this, I only have the large, this is the large print version of, of the first book, you know, for those people, The Adventures of Spike, The Wonder Dog. So what I'm trying to do is, as a satirist, take things that are in our society and amplify them up and kind of send them up. Yeah. You sure this light is not too bright back there? No, it's fine. If it's bugging you, you can. It, no, as long as, as long as, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's guy you're, you're, you're backlit so well. It's just. I, I gotta, I gotta send you a, uh, I'll, I'll send you a still shot of what you look like on this end, and you'll just, you'll use it as your press photo for the next. Book. Okay, fine. fine. <laughs> well, first off, I'm enjoying talking to you enormously, uh, and um, we've only been together once, standing up at a, at yeah, a cocktail party in in New York City with your friend Iris Smiles, and tell me a little bit about your show. We've got some time here. What, what, what do you want to do that will be most entertaining for your Probably seven or eight viewers. Oh well, thanks for the generosity. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Thanks for the generosity there. Um, oh, I got to say, this is what I figured, folks. Yeah, I, figured, I said seven, eight. Oh wow, that would be really. Oh, I love that seven or eight. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Oh my God, I should start a Twitter account. I might get seven followers. Um, I remember at that uh, at that event, we were trying to get martinis. And you brought back martini. I don't drink martinis, but I was trying to get a martini for you. Yeah, and you and I was like, I brought you back. This is good. This is a good one. Yeah, and I was like, what? What is this? And I was, I was just, and I had just met you, and you're, you know, I'm like, you could tell when somebody's just an amazing person immediately. You know, sometimes you could just smell it. Yeah, we connected. We connected. Yeah, and I'm just like, I like this guy, but I can't, I can't even pretend to like this drink. So I, I said to you. He says this is a martini. I asked oh, right. what you told me to get. It doesn't look like a martini to me. You yeah. asked something. You don't use olives, right? No, I, were, I was getting a twist, right? A twist. It had olives in it. Like nine. You, you went back to the bar. Tell your right. viewer. Tell your viewer what the <laughs> that you're still with us, right? The viewer. <laughs> Thanks. 
you're the you're the viewer but bill i hate that <laughs> so bill um yeah. i go back to the bar and the guy goes oh okay a martini and he pulls out sweet and sour and starts putting it into the to the and I'm like, I go, what are you doing? He's like, I'm making you a martini. I'm like, no, 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 that's not a martini. So I had to explain to him how to make a martini, which kind oh. of at that point I went, maybe I should be working this event and not, not a, not a patron of the event. Well, when I see something like that, it's the first thing I think of. God bless the guy. He's trying to earn a living. Okay. He was in eighth place at a swim meet twenty years ago. <laughs> Yeah. I, the first thing is I'm not critical of the guy. No. I'm critical of the hiring that led to hiring somebody as a bartender right. at a big party who doesn't right. know how to make a martini. Right. But that, that's all. Uh, yeah. I went I went to a dinner party recently, and the, the one of the hired help is actually the chef, the guy who's a private chef working for the woman. And there were 12 guests. And they had uh, two bottles of rosé out on the counter. And I went in, I said, like a glass of rosé. And so we started to open the, the one with the cork. I said, that one there is a screw top. You know, he hadn't put the thing. Oh, he, great. So he poured me a glass. And then there were a couple other glasses poured. And an hour and a half later, the one that he had was still sitting on the counter. It didn't think, oh, why don't I put this back in the refrigerator because if we go to a second bottle, then it will be cold. Now, maybe it's just now that I'm over 50 that you right. see these things and you just are more observant to the mistakes that people make. But as a writer of satire, I love seeing things like this because it's just part of the tapestry of our lives. It it It, it, it makes me feel okay about existing because i know i can write about stuff like even when i get mad about things if we get mad about something then we dissect it and then we realize like sometimes uh, well most of the time i'm like oh wait i'm the idiot in this situation but then i get to write about it and i can pretend like it's someone else you know and it's just like this idiot we wouldn't believe it then people are like oh my god i can't believe you know the people who don't know me and if it's in a story or whatever like what an idiot. I'm like, I know, right? And it's just like, it was really me. But yeah, yeah. It's a character. Quote, quote. <laughs> you, sir, have interviewed everybody. Okay. On, like 8 billion. No, no. I was, you, you used to have it. You had, you had a talk show. Was that out in New York? Yes, I'm going to mention my name because what I notice is on many podcasts and stuff I do and radio shows that after I'm introduced, my name isn't mentioned like for the whole hour. So if somebody comes in like five minutes later, they don't know who I am. Right. Yes. The reason, only reason. So maybe I should like, maybe I should be like uh, one of the characters in my book. I, I got money piles or like the boxers or like former late Senator Bob Dole. And only talk about myself in the third person. Well, Bob Dole is going to vote for that because Bob Dole thinks that that's the way that this country should be going. And Bob Dole, he talked about himself in the third person so much, you thought he was talking about somebody else. Right. What was the question? So, uh, so Bill Bill Boggs, my guest, Bill Boggs. Yeah, that's right. Who, that, who, who I'm talking to right now. Uh, Bill the, Boggs, the, the author the as well. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm a talk show host. I've been a talk show host. All, all my life. Yeah. I've, I've been able to interview like a couple thousand people. I have a, a an archive, not every show I've done, but an archive of several shows, like 400. Yeah. My YouTube channel, Bill Boggs TV. Yeah. Bill Boggs TV. You can go to Bill Boggs TV and there were some of the great stars of the golden age of uh, films, I would say. Sean Connery, Natalie Woods, and there's music stars like Dionne Warwick, James Brown, Sammy Davis Jr., Lou Reed, Carly Simon. There's just a few sports stars. We just posted one with Pete Rose, um, John McEnroe. There's about 400 interviews there. It's Bill Boggs TV. It's free. I often wonder, what do I do with all these tapes? But for the last 15 years, I've invested in digitizing them and putting them on YouTube, which is really where my 
uh, my work will, God, God willing, live on. There's an interview there with Miles Davis, a one-hour interview with Jerry Lewis. So I really, yeah, you know, I've been, I've been down the Jerry Lewis. Um, I, I don't know why, but like I'm reading his books, I'm watching his interviews. Him as a, like a director, he wrote a book. He's got a a, a book out that's yeah. all of his USC lectures on filmmaking, and he's he's a genius. He blows my mind. Like my whole perception of who Jerry oh. Lewis is has been changed the last few years cuz i you know i'm a i've been a peripheral of oh yeah that's right and and now that i now that i've learned more about him i'm like oh it, you know when people usually say oh yeah he's big in france and i'm like you're damn right he's big in france cuz the guy deserves to be big in as an auteur as an auteur yes. and just to, to name drop a little bit on exactly what you just said <clears throat> frank sinatra once said to me Jerry Lewis is the most misunderstood man in show business because he had a part of him that was so big, brassy, bold, crazy, screwy, mean, all that. But what Sinatra meant was what you just said, that he was this really considered serious filmmaker about making. I, and I did see one of those. I saw one of those lectures. I saw him interviewed by Richard, the late Richard Belzer. He interviewed Jerry Lewis at 92nd Street Y, sometimes back, Tony. Oh, that I stayed across the street from there when I when I met you. That's where I was. I was staying across the street from there. Yeah, and yeah. it was that night when when Belzer was interviewing Jerry about movies and movie making that I understood what Sinatra meant. Right. Yeah. Complicated guy. Yeah. And it's like, and it's so strange because it was like the press were like kind of after him. It's just it. People were kind of after him, and as I watched some of these interviews on YouTube, it you could see people trying to throw angles at him, and and it's like he's not deflecting, but he's just like, where are you getting this from? And then he'll, and then he'll, and then I watch him start to get act act out and get very irritated, which now endears me to him even more because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I feel your irritation. You know, I'm a, I'm surprised that there's there's not punches being thrown right now because these people deserve a punch. So. Well, <clears throat> that's that's a very good point what you just said about. Yeah. <coughs> excuse me. This may be the end. No. <laughs> so, a more Jack Daniels here. Yeah, I got my uh, Pellegrino. Ring a ding, uh, ring a ding, ding. Well, <laughs> what what got what what got you into it? What got you into interviewing? What was this? What was the start of it? <clears throat> I don't remember this, Tony, but my mother has. Uh, insists that she remembered and so she must have that I was about four years old and I was walking around the house with a pencil pretending it was a microphone interviewing people wow uh, so yeah. what I always wanted to do I wanted to be I'm just old enough that and at some point if we want to talk about writing process I'll come back to this yeah yeah I'm just old enough to have the, had the very end of the golden age of radio, which was radio dramas, mm -hmm. comedies, uh, game shows, audience participation shows, talent shows. And I wanted to be like those men on the radio and the first ones I saw when I was a little kid on television interviewing people. It's just always what I wanted to do. Now, what a blessing that I grew up in a country that I had minimal talent where I could actually make a dream like that come true, you know, what a blessing. I mean, I have, I can't, I, I live a life of gratitude. I, I, I really do. The older I get, as I said, I'm over 50. The older I get, the more grateful I am. Do, do you remember the first person you interviewed where, uh, uh, where it was, um, it, it, it where where your mind's just kind of going, oh my God, I'm interviewing this person. How did this happen? How am I here? And you're trying to like also at the same time formulate a conversation that's going to be broadcastable. <laughs> I um um one of the first the first big star I interviewed was um the actor Jimmy Stewart, and that's because oh that's host, big, yeah. The host of the the, the show I was working on couldn't go to a junket the opening of one of his last movies, Fool's Parade. And um, I had, I just 
always took it like I'm going to have a conversation with this person. Now, obviously, it was the first time I ever did it, and I wasn't as facile as, as I would be a year later. But I don't remember being trembling or nervous, excited, but I just started talking to them. I, I've always felt that if I could just essentially be myself and listen to the, the host. I watched the host of the show, of which I was an associate producer in Philadelphia, a wonderful fellow named Bob McLean from Canada. And he sat there in the chair. He had questions, but he really listened. And he listened with the intention of understanding what the guest was saying, not having a planned reaction or the next question. And that's pretty much the way I took it, the way this is going right now. You're not following a list of questions unless you have special glasses and you're reading them on your lenses there. We're just talking. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, I mean, that means, and that kind of means everything to me because I've, I've been interviewing probably for about 20 years for newspapers and also radio and this thing. And it's, uh, and I realized I, in my early days, I was not cool in any way at all. I had like, you know, like 80 minutes worth of questions. If I had eight minutes with the person and I was like, you know, I'm like, Oh God, they're going to know. They're going to know. I don't belong here. They're going to know. I don't belong here. And then, I, and then just at, at some point, I just finally had the realization, wait, just have the conversation right there. And you may not get to any points that you actually thought of, but you might, you usually get to a place that's better than anything you could have thought of in a conversation. Well, <clears throat> you're using the word prior to the pandemic, conversations on television, and let, let's consider we're on TV now, it's a podcast, mm -hmm. we're few and far between, real yeah. conversations. When I was doing talk shows in the 70s, the 80s, and then the early 90s, it was possible to actually have a couple of segments with somebody where you talk to them. Yeah. But it kept getting truncated and truncated and truncated down. But since the pandemic, when podcasts started, we're back to what I like to call long-form conversations. Yeah. That's what we're having right now. And I, I, my career, Midday Live with Bill Boggs, the first show, Southern Exposure with Bill Boggs, I did syndicate in the South, and some of the other talk shows I did. I was just of enough of an era when if somebody came through and I wanted to talk to them for a half an hour, I could talk to them for a half an hour. And hence, if you go to Bill Boggs TV, you will see an hour with Jerry Lewis, an hour with Sammy Davis Jr., uh, long-form interviews. I've got a one-hour interview there with Roy Cohen and Gore Vidal debating each other for an hour. And we're talking about daytime television. This is gone. But I yeah. was of an era that pr produced that. I'm not one of those people who says, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. Everything changes. Change yeah. is inevitable, right? Yeah. I happen to be during a period of time when I could have long-form conversations with people just like this on television. I had a wonderful conversation with Sean Connery for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Yeah. Met Natalie Wood. That's all on Bill Boggs TV on YouTube. Bill Boggs, my guest. Let yes. me think of the next question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, no. It's uh, do you do you feel like with podcast <laughs> Bill oh, Boggs holding up his book, Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog this Returns? Was designed to make you laugh. Did you read any of it, Tony? Probably getting someone to read your book. That's difficult. So here, so here's here's what I do with this with this thing Eighth that we're doing place. now. Eighth place. Wow. See what I do is I read a I read a couple pages and then I forget about everything because I don't want to have any uh, what do you call it? I kind of don't want to have any agenda. Like if I like something too much, I want to know every single thing about the character. How did you get there? How did you do that? And then I'll oh. try to and then I'll try to sound smart. And I don't want to sound, don't want to sound smart, Tony, for God's sake. Why change now? <laughs> no, exactly. I don't want to. I listen to some of these books. I listen to a lot of these shows where authors are interviewed and they're and they're like, so the inciting incident of, you know, and I'm just and I don't want to I don't want to hear. I don't want to be that one. Yeah, that's <clears> good <throat> for those people over there. I just want to talk to people that I like that are interesting. And then the side the side thing is and they happen to have a book. OK. And then in order to get on the show, you have to have a book. <laughs> it's a conundrum anyway the it's when you were 
you, you were saying that you were, I just, okay. You said you were syndicated in the South. I really, yes. I, yes. it's so intriguing because now that we have podcasts where any, you know, someone in Bulgaria could be listening to this uh, and someone here could be listening to us. It. So it's so globalized. I don't think people remember. And I remember this as a kid where the regional, the, the regional output was so kind of cool because when you went and visited another city, there, there was a different radio station, not owned by Clear Channel, not owned by anyone. They were regional. So you got the regional vibe and there was something so sexy yeah. about, about traveling somewhere and seeing the regional talk shows host, seeing the regional daytime TV that, that we can... Like, you know, if I talk to my friends from high school, we all know who, uh, oh my God, and I just, Ross McGowan. Ross McGowan was the guy in the San Francisco Bay Area, where if I say that name, everyone in the Bay Area, who is, you know, my age, over 50, goes, oh yeah, Ross McGowan, immediately. But someone in LA is going to go, what is a Ross McGowan? And there's something beautiful about the regional that I kind of miss. No, we have... Right, I'm in East Hampton right now, and we have a WLNG, a a regional, I was on there, they invited me on to talk about the book and so forth on Saturday. And if you listen to that station, it just has the character of of where we are out here in East Hampton, the east end of Long Island. Um, In Palm Beach, where I've been privileged to spend a couple of winters, there's a beautiful radio station down there called uh, Legends Radio. Uh, here we have also LNG, Long Island Television. We have uh, also 12, uh, which is Channel 12, which is Long Island TV. So you do get uh, you do get a sense of that here. But mm. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, like I listen to I listen to college radio because <clears throat> you know in, I'm in Los Angeles. So when I listen to, for some odd reason, when I moved to LA, one I I had to drive more. So I I was just like. You know, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not pushed up a bunch against, up against a bunch of people on the commute traffic, anything. I'm driving. And then I could just listen to the radio. And I started listening to the top 40 music because that was new to me. I never and people would be like, do you know who Drake is? And I'd be like, no, I don't know what that is. And they would laugh and then they would go well, listen to this song. And I would know all the words because I'd been listening in the car. I just didn't know who it was. But now I've been listening more to I listening more of this like Spanish top 40 station just because it because and it's so la and they're so all about the sports teams and stuff that i just love kind of driving around and listening to that even though i don't know half of what they're saying but they talk about the los angeles you know los angeles doyers and they're talking you know, they're talking about all this stuff that i'm like i'm only getting this in los angeles i wouldn't get this if i lived in san francisco no. it's, it's one of the reasons i listen to it is because it's regional a question about something you just said. You said you love driving around listening to that. Do you just get in your car, drive around to listen to it? Or are you going someplace while you're listening to it? I'm going someplace while I'm listening to it. Ah, that's I, Clarification there. You're no, very easy. Oh, I'm going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's the journalism ethics in you to get to the root of the story and to find the truth. Yes, very important. Well, I'm, you know, I love observing. I love little flourishes of language that you can turn into a tidbit, a nugget of humor. Just a nugget doesn't have to be. Yeah. Um, my mind works like that. You know, I just recently had a very interesting problem. When I met you, I believe a, a, my girlfriend of 12 and a half years had just decided to leave me. Yeah, we were talking about that. I was talking about that now. I was I was not happy about it because it's not what I wanted. We weren't arguing. She just wanted to go off on her own. She'd never been married. She's an independent woman. Anyway, and one of the things I was nervous about was losing the daily ability for banter. I would have her laughing, you know, all day long. Right. But I haven't lost it yet. Yeah, well. I, I don't intend to lose it. Because, but that's one of the first things I thought about. Is, Maybe I'm on my, I'll, you know, what's it going to be like for me now, being quiet all the time? But it, it flows to other people. It flow is flowed in a different direction, and, and, including right now. I I have the oh, same. That was dull. That was dull. What I just said. Then. No, no, that's I I I'm totally because I I was married for like 13 years, and so when I got divorced, 
you lose oh, the banter of a relationship. And then I was, in, you know, when I was in other relationships, I'm the banter guy too. And I'm, uh, you know, yeah, it's just, you're very good. You're very good bantering. When we first met, that's what exactly, I don't know why it happened, but I thought this guy, we're just standing, look folks, for, I mean, person watching, hi. Uh, we just were like standing around talking and you, because of your personality, and this is a high compliment, right? Something you about you facilitated my sense of humor. I mean, yeah. so many people you meet at a cocktail party. You know what the hell am I talking about with this person for? Well, how'd you get here? I came down in the taxi. Oh, really? I took the subway. Oh, I heard. Yeah, there was a stabbing. You know, but no, you and I were not talking about stabbings on the subway. We were talking about. We went. I think we went immediately to breakups, and then we were talking about sorrow, and then we were talking about. And I'm yeah. just like sitting there going. This guy nourishes my soul. He understands yeah, me. I think then shortly after that, I probably was plugging my book to try to get you to buy it, you know, the, the, the original one, because you're a writer, you know. Yeah. I, I, I just trying to sell books and get people to my, you know, at some point, I, I want you, if you have the book there, do you have anything with you there in the book to, to read some of the things that have been said about, okay. like, by notable people. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, what's that? You have that material with you? I no. don't. It's okay. in. It's actually in an email. So you sent you sent me the PDF. No, I, the, I have it here. So at some point, I want to well, talk about that. Because, Bill Boggs, the author. Yeah. Why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and tell me a couple of the things that people have said about your book? Well, uh, the, the reason I, I don't want to particularly like blow my own horn here. But oh, I okay. I got it. Okay. But. It's easier for me to read something that someone else said about the book. Oh, okay, okay. That's 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 what I mean. Right. So let's start with Brian Cox, the the actor in Succession, right? Right. Abbreviated thing. He says this book is an absolute delight, in such a brilliantly acerbic comic manner. That's from Brian Cox of Succession. And Mike Reese, one of the creators of The Simpsons, and still the producer of The Simpsons. Not since Voltaire has someone written such an epic. Yes, I'm comparing Bill Boggs to Voltaire. I did not ask for this. Bill has written an amazingly funny book and so hip. Mark Elliott, author of three New York Times bestsellers, an animated feature waiting to happen. Read it. Read it. You'll bark with laughter. I mean, howl with laughter. Joe Piscopo, a witty, timely, satirical gem and a fun read. And um, Alan Zweibel, a great comedy writer. He, these are all just part of longer reviews. This book is great. Yeah. So when you write comedy, which is what I write, satire, comedy, the whole yeah. my, my premise here is to get you laughing as you're reading. I'm not every line, obviously. Right. You, really, you know, it's all in my head. Yeah, that's funny. I don't know. I'll cut this. Unlike a stand-up comedian, Tony, who goes, writes material, gets out, tests it in front of an audience, until somebody reads my material, I don't have the validation. So I'm particularly touched by, there are three pages of, of blurbs from reviews at the front of the book. And I'm, I'm touched by the fact that people found it, laugh out loud, funny. And that's my goal. Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns, to sit down and laugh at a time when our society is so filled with anger, right? filled with vitriol. Um, let's not, uh, I say, let's not take everything so seriously, okay? Let's laugh at each other. Let's lighten up. Laughter could be the absolute best revenge of all. But now... I see so many evil, mean posts on Facebook. I, a friend of mine who's a, a doctor said, people show you who they really are. Yeah. But, you know, and like, it's scary. Uh, <laughs> meaning, well, here's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Somebody sees something on social media that they don't like. They have an obligation to um, lacerate the person. I mean, just yeah. absolutely really, really go after them. Yeah. You know? This guy, this guy is an asshole. What yeah. is he doing? He doesn't know what. 
why why do you need to send that out? You know, so what part of what I'm talking about in the book is sending. I I have a lot of inventions in the book, things that that are sends up. One example is, um, in addition to Tony the Talking Trophy, the app for children, so parents right. can give them unwarranted praise 24 hours a day, no matter where they are in the world. By the way, it, I love the name. I love the name you used. But go ahead, Tony the Talking Trophy. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing in the book are Angry Man Meals. This guy comes on to the show. See, Spike is like a TV star whose master, the guy who owns him, has a, a TV talk show just like me. It's based on a guy like me who once had an English Bull Terrier like this, who was named Spike. And Spike the Wonder Dog was on his television show. I have just simply brought this up and, and put it in, in present times. So on the show one day, you know, they go, this guest, they, they're doing a food demo. And this man has come up with a line of angry man meals. And so his rap is, that the, Bud, the host says, um, well, uh, Todd, tell us tell us about what we've got here. We've got this array of food in front of us. What, what, what is it? He said, well, men today are angry. We're angry at many things. Women are replacing us. We're angry about what happened on January 6th. We're angry about many things. Our jobs, we're unemployed, we're angry. And what we realize is we like being angry. It's a good feeling. So I've created this food to serve the newly emerging anger market. Yeah. Right. Then he goes on to explain why if you eat these meals, which are laced with steroids and stuff like that, it will keep you in a chest pumping fury all day. <laughs> right? And you'll fall asleep at night after you eat one of the oh, any road raid balls. You know, eat this while you're driving. You'll have no problem calling that driver an asshole. So angry man meals. But you see, as satire, the root of that? Yeah. Are angry. We're very, very angry. Yeah. That sends it up a little bit, you know? I, and I also feel like, I mean, for me, uh, a lot of comedy, or, or even when I'm working on a story, I, for some reason, I start at something angry or something that irritates me. I'm easily irritable and people don't realize how like kind of irritable I get. But when I get irritable, I kind of twist it. And then that's and then I get excited about twisting it. And so maybe I like being irritable enough so then I can twist it and put it into something um, which turns out to be, you know, the next book, you know, knock on wood. I'm on my hopefully Working second on the book now. Tell me I'm on like the second to last draft. I thought I was done and that I got to tell do me about it. Can you talk about it? Sometimes we writers don't like to talk about what we're doing. Oh, right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a book set. It's so, well, I'll give you my elevator pitch here, which I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at this stuff. It's easier to write a novel than it is to talk about the novel. Um, but it's in the afterlife, there is no heaven or hell. The afterlife is the subconscious. So when we die, we go to the subconscious and our particular characters are actors in dreams. So they're in and in the dream world of the subconscious is a huge Hollywood studio. So when we dream, we're just going and the subconscious is just another studio in Hollywood where dead people are the actors. You know what? I'm actually thinking. Yeah, yeah. What's so interesting is when you do a podcast like this. Yeah. You expect no silence. <laughs> it's like radio. We're yeah, dead man. air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. I'll be quiet. Well, oh, yeah. well, we could we think about it. What I thought was, it's like social science fiction. Mm, yeah. That's a little bit. Kind of can't, yeah, it's, uh, and, and the impetus of that book, which was uh, a little over two years ago, it came kind of out of being irritated about certain things. And it's like, what, what if we were in a bizarro world where intimacy coordinators are actually mad at you if you didn't have immediate sex with the dreamers, because these are sex dreams. So get did in you, there and do it. Did you mention sex just then? I did, yeah. Yeah. I have a sex invention in Spike Unleashed. Yeah. Um, it's called the sex bit, S-E-X-B-I-T. Yeah. Capital S, capital. What it is, it's like a Fitbit of sex. <laughs> hey. I'm just talking. I'm just realizing how my battery would just be kind of dead because no, well, not much sex of you. Tell me, 
tell me that in, within five years, this will not be on the market. I yeah. made this up. It's one of the yeah. many inventions in the book, like the Angry Man Meals and Tony the Talking Trophy. So the sex bit is worn by a woman so that during sexual intercourse, it measures, it's like, you know, it measures how her body is responding. And when everything is over, there's a score. The man actually is scored. So that is a, it actually is a subplot in the book because Bud, the talk show host, yeah. has his girlfriend, Brenda, but they don't, they don't have an exclusive relationship. She's dating him and sleeping with him. And she's sleeping with a former Navy SEAL who can do 75 chin-ups. <laughs> And so far, <laughs> Bud, Bud has not come. You know, the Navy SEAL score is here. And Bud says, you know, you're, I'm getting performance anxiety from this thing. You know? So it's, I, I love the sex bit. I just love, I think I, somebody's going to come up with that. I think you're right. And, and, oh, without and, question. Without oh, man. And and I and I and and here and this is what I would do in that situation if she was wearing one. I'd keep looking at her wrists, going, "Oh crap! <laughs> wait, wait over here." I, I would be like looking at. I would totally forget we we're having sex. I would just be so in competition with well, trying cool. to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of our society that we are looking for scores. We're looking to get an A. <laughs> we're looking to get a B. I don't want to be the eighth place. Where'd you go to college? Where'd you go to college? Tommy? I never went to college, actually. Oh, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Millbrae, and because uh, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, so I couldn't go to college. So it's it's a complicated, not complicated but thing. You but grew I, up where, Tony? Uh, in the Bay Area, San Francisco, I, right, I, right by the San Francisco airport. There's a city called Millbrae. That's where I grew up. Uh, did Did you like school? Uh, school was very complicated for me. <laughs> Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah, can- I, I, oh, it's, I, um, but after some tragedies happened, and I finally got out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and then that's when I came, I became an insatiable sponge on like, what did I miss? What did I miss? And that's when I was just reading as much as possible, and I was, and that's never gone away. I'm just, I'm, I'm nuts about that. So good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, Fire a question at me, Tony. I'm, I'm I, anything you want, anything. Um, really, <laughs> please, 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 just, just put me on the spot. Put me on the spot. Um, did you grow up in Philadelphia? <clears throat> what a question! No, I yeah. mean, because that was your first. Yeah. That was yeah. your first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in Philadelphia. What, what was, what's it like growing up in Philadelphia? Well, because I'm going, I'm going to be in Philadelphia when I'm. Well, I'm going to be in New York in October, and I'm visiting a friend in Philadelphia. I've never been there. I'm mm. actually really excited to visit Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia is a city of neighborhoods. It's similar to Boston in many ways. I grew up in a neighborhood um, in Northeast Philadelphia, uh, which was a little bit, you know, it was like happy days. In the late fifties, the um, the man across the street was a milkman uh, who was studying, and he became an electrician, and and he had a job as an electrician. His son went to Annapolis, and another man down the street was a carpenter, and his wife worked, and their child went off to an Ivy League school. It, it was people really took care of their homes, semi-detached homes. I grew up in, mm. and it was. Uh, just really a sweet time of innocence. That I like. I said at our high school reunion, the last one we had. I said it at the last two, having been a school officer. I said we were really the last generation to know innocence as young people and as teenagers. And look at what's going on now. There were no such thing as school shootings. Just start right. there. Imagine that you're back in high school. And every day that you go to high school, you're slightly worried that there could be a, sh- a shooting in your school. And that's a reasonable fear. Yeah. That's not paranoia. Yeah. So it was great growing up in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is a city that loves music. And I've loved music all my life. So I was able to, uh, well, I went to a, a small school called the University of Pennsylvania, which is in, in Philadelphia. I went mm-hmm. to the University of Pennsylvania. 
and undergraduate school and graduate school. And while I was there, even though I was under 21, I was able to go across the river to Cherry Hill, New Jersey to a, a night, big nightclub called the Latin Casino. Um, they, they did a recreation of it in the movie, The Irishman, which was out three or four years ago. And during the week, even though I wasn't 21 and it was a nightclub, the second show just had a $4 minimum, mean, no cover charge. So you had to spend $4. And I saw every act that played at the Latin Casino. I saw Ella Fitzgerald, Bobby Darren, wow. Sammy Davis Jr., Rowan and Martin, um, Jack Jones, Philadelphia's own, Bill Cosby, Lena Horne, every act during the week while I was in in college and graduate school, and and, and many other acts, many yeah. other acts. You know, I, I began my career in show business managing a comedy team and uh, and producing a couple of comedy shows with them on stage shows, mm -hmm. booking them, getting them gigs, and doing uh, some writing with them. So coming back to write satire as I have now, I made a conscious decision when my last TV show went off the air that I was going to be a full-time writer, identify myself as a writer, no longer as a talk show host who doesn't have a show. I said, you know what? I'm going to be 70 years old. No one's looking to get higher bill box anymore. If they want me, fine. They can get me. I'm easy to reach. I'm just going to control my own destiny and write. I had written one novel, a romantic novel, romantic comedy novel mm -hmm. called At First Sight in the 80s that actually was option for a movie by Renee Zellweger. But mm -hmm. didn't, get, didn't get made, but she loved it. She was my neighbor. She went, oh, I love this. And then I wrote a self-help book 2007 uh, for Harper Collins, and then 2020, the first Spike book and the second Spike book. There's going to be three. First one's The Adventures of Spike the Bunny Dog, then Spike Unleashed, and then the third is going to be called End of the Tale. It's going to be a trilogy, and the goal is to sell this material as a strip series, cartoon series, adult cartoon series, not kids. That's my goal. But now with the strike, everything selling material is all oh, that little right. story is hundreds of thousands of stories. Yeah. The um being it, it, being in a situation where you're you're hosting a show all the time, the, there's so much human interaction. What was it like to go, you know what? I'm gonna now I'm gonna be in solitude and write. Like and then just what what was, was no, that no, like culture shock? No, no difference. No, it's the evanescence of one's career. It just happens slowly, mm -hmm. and so um, the the last show I did was on PBS. It was called My Generation. It was produced by AARP. I interviewed such people as uh, Judy Collins, uh, Mormon Hamlish. Uh, let's see who else. Carly Simon. Uh, several successful writers and so forth a lot of people about what made them what made them what made them successful but they were like individual shows it wasn't like something i was going to do every day like i did for 18 years of my life getting up every day and doing a live show for 18 yeah. 19 years so it's just it's a slow adjustment it's, it's like everything else i want it's so important in life to recognize I said it before, change is inevitable in your life, but but growth from that change is optional. You can go kicking and screaming, I don't like this. Why is this happening? Okay. But at some point you gotta hit a button, reset, and grow because of it. And that's where I am right now personally, having just been dumped by, by my girlfriend in March. I'm in um I'm in a growth period. One door closes, another one opens. It's so, yeah, it's, I remember, you know, like even when I was younger, some of the loneliest, like the lonely, loneliest, hardest times in my life. I look back on with fondness because I found, I found ways through it and the ways I found through it were really important to me, you know? And it's just, and it's just like, wow, if I didn't, if I didn't get to that point, if I didn't like, you know, lose friends or, and didn't, didn't have the, what do you call those inciting incidents of sorts? 
Yeah. Then I then I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Then I wouldn't have found blank. And how great is life now that I found blank? And that just adds more and more and more. It's very good, Tony. Very good indeed. Bill Boggs, that's so good. We might have to end the show on that. You know, it's been a pleasure. I knew this would be fun. And uh, I really I really enjoyed it, 100%. I'd like to ask anybody watching who likes to read, I mean, the person watching who likes to read, Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns, published by Post Hill Press, orderspike.com. You can get that. And read it, and then my contact's in there right away. I'm on um, Instagram at Real Bill Boggs, and easy to get in touch with me and tell me what you think. So this has been a pleasure. I really, I really enjoyed this. You're, you're a lovely, charming, funny guy with a great sense of humor, and uh, you're going to go places in this podcast business, Tony. You are. Just stick to it, kid. Oh, my God. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Kiss the day goodbye The sweetness and the sorrow Thank you We did what we had to do But I can't forget What I did for love What I did My eyes are dry The gift was ours to borrow It's as if we always knew But I don't regret What I did for love Oh.
Thank you. Thank you very kindly. Thank you. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Yeah, this is a story of famous dog. For the dog that chases its tail will be busy. These are clapping dogs, rhythmic dogs, harmonic dogs, house dogs, street dogs, dogs of the world unite, dancing dogs. Yeah, counting dogs, funky dogs, nasty dogs. Oh, man. 